0: Hey friends, Jonathan Rogers here. I know a lot of you love Flannery O'Connor, and I think a lot of you love writing. So you'll be glad to know that on June 4th, I'm starting a six week online course called Writing with Flannery O'Connor. Each week, we're going to read one of O'Connor's short stories and one of her essays on writing. On Thursdays, I'll give a live lecture. There's going to be writing exercises, online discussion, and lots of opportunities to connect with other writers. Find out more at thehabit.co slash Flannery. Welcome to the Habit Podcast. Conversations with Writers About Writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Layfinger wrote the novels Peace Like a River, So Brave, Young, and Handsome, and most recently, Virgil Wander. He's a lifelong Minnesotan, and his love of the people and the landscapes of the Upper Midwest is palpable in his writing, and contagious, if you'll forgive the untimely metaphor. When I called Layfinger to record this episode, we just started talking, and he had so much great stuff to say that I couldn't bring myself to interrupt him for my usual introduction. So let me say now what I neglected to say then. LeFinger, thank you for making time to be on The Habit Podcast. The thing that, that I love about the books that I love
1: um, is that they are generally full of people I like in a place I don't want to leave. Um, And so whenever I I think about, um, you know, I like a plot. I mean, you've got to have a plot. Um, But the plot is never what keeps me reading. The characters keep me reading and the place keeps me reading. And there is something about, um, you know, all the places I have written about in in books um, tend to be here in the Midwest. And they tend to be places that when I close my eyes, that's just where I am uh the north shore of lake superior is is one of these just um, almost embarrassingly lovely places it's so pretty that that um, there are places on the shore where it hurts your eyes it's just um it's, it's too much it's just concentrated beauty it's like if you drove the a1 uh if you drove that uh that seaside highway down the pacific coast highway which goes mm-hmm. for hundreds of miles from northern california to southern california And you took all the beauty that's there and it is profligate. And then you condensed that down into, you know, a couple hundred miles, boom, that's the North shore. Uh, And and yet you've got all of these towns where it's almost impossible to make a living and has been for decades. I mean, it's this boom and bust mining economy and shipping economy. Um, And you, you know, you want so badly uh, for the people there to be able to make it. And yet most of the time it's really hard to do. Uh, so that's, that's a good inner tension, I think. Um, uh, but, but place for me is just a,
0: is a real driver of what makes a good novel. Do you, um, uh, you said you, you love place. Um, and you know, you write about places in the Midwest. Um, what about talk, talk to me about reading reading places that you that you that aren't in the Midwest. I mean I, I guess Oh, oh. I, you know, I I, I love reading books that, that introduce me to places that I've never that I've never thought I'd be interested in. You know, I, I get like, well, like your books, right? I mean I I I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Dakotas except when I read Peace Like a River. <laughs> and right. yeah. Um, and you know the, the, the North Shore of Lake Superior. I didn't even know it was called the North Shore because it's not actually the. It's not. It's the North Shore of. When you say the North Shore, it's really the the southern part of the southern edge of Lake Superior, <laughs>
1: right? The, the honest to goodness North Shore is in, is in Ontario, you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. right. But but here in Minnesota, we've got what we call the North Shore, and yeah, as opposed right. to what they have in Wisconsin, which is the South Shore. Oh. Um, and so that, that's sort of the, the, the dividing line is, you know, in Duluth, <laughs> it turns from the North Shore into the South Shore as you drive east into Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> and funny. they have very different characters, you know. I mean, the South Shore tends to be uh, sand beaches, and, uh, and the North Shore is just rocky outcroppings and cliffs uh-huh. and drama. And they both just have <laughs> their charms. Um, but yeah uh, reading reading is just a wonderful way to travel and to start to fall in love with different places i when i was um when i was doing research for, for virgil um I, I just sort of fell in love with surfing culture I, I read all kinds of books that were set in the whole island um and did the, you say uh, surfing uh, culture surfing culture, yeah um because there's a little surf culture that's grown up here in lake superior and, you know these, these crazy individuals in, um, in, in wetsuits go out in November when the gales are high <laughs> and the waves come in and they're 12- and they're foot waves that come in and crash on the beaches and And these um, mostly guys, but also a few women, um, are out there in their, in their wetsuits with their surfboards and there's ice hanging off of their beards <laughs> and, um, and they're, even the women, they're out of their yeah. And they're Those completely minutes. out of their minds and it's totally wonderful Oh wow! so i knew that I, I needed to have a surfer in the book and and so i was reading about just sort of surf culture mm-hmm. and um and i began to really fall for the south pacific where it all began mm-hmm. um, and now i know i'm going to have to go and visit when all this craziness is over and we can travel again i'm definitely going to the south pacific i want to see some I want to see some real surf culture um, yeah. that doesn't involve ice. <laughs> um, I think that's what you're talking about is is just yeah. the ability to open some pages and just fall into a different place that then you are loath to uh, to leave. It's what so much Southern literature has going for it is that mm-hmm. that just sense of slowness of place. There's a there's a great book by Larry Mercury that he wrote in about 1962 called All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers.
0: Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that book. And I – oh, isn't that a good book? No, I, I said I don't know that book. I, I've never read well, it. Well, you
1: don't know that book. I thought you uh-huh. said you loved that book. I no, think no, no. you might love it if you read it. Uh-huh. Um, it's not one of his better-known books. It's pre-Lonesome Dove, you know? Uh-huh. Um, it, it's uh, – you know, he wasn't yet a um, household name, at least among writers. and and um, and in this book it's set in in Houston where this this young writer is a student at know, rice university uh, and then he uh, he gets fed up with with school and he leaves he goes to california he has a little adventure eventually he drives back to houston but his love of houston is so beautifully explained and you start to understand the sort of um the kind of lovely oppressiveness of the air and how the whole city is low, and if there's a rain, you know every parking lot is a, is a foot under water. Um, and yet that whole kind of smoky atmosphere of it, he just adores, and it feels like Houston is his best friend. And before he leaves, he takes a long walk through Houston, and the and the street lights are on, and there's this kind of nice. A point, stumpy smell, and he's like, "Man, Houston's my best friend. What am I going to do when I'm not at Houston?" Anymore? And it's uh, it's really this. Um, you know, I've I've only passed through Houston, but now I want to go and spend a little time. Yeah, uh, that's books. Books can do that for us in a way that um, maybe only the really best movies can also do. And books books are powerful that way.
0: Well, I, I think I, I do think books have a, a, a power to make us. I mean, you're talking about Houston is not the kind of place that people – I mean, Houston has kind of a uh, – gets a bad rap. People people don't talk about how much they love Houston. They talk about how humid it is, and they talk about how, how bad the traffic is. And right, uh, right. I, I love yeah. books that that make me love places that I that I wouldn't know to love. I mean, you yeah, know, we, we talked yeah. about Bruce Springsteen a minute ago and, and how yeah. he makes New Jersey seem like – it would be so great to be from New Jersey. I, I just, you know right. – I, I would love, you know, when I when I listen to Bruce Springsteen, I think, boy, what a what a place New Jersey must be. And yeah,
2: um, and
1: you know, so did you ever watch? Did you ever watch uh, Anthony Bourdain? No, I, no, I didn't Bruce watch his. That's that's the feeling you get from a lot of his stuff. And and speaking of New Jersey, and speaking of Houston, and many other places, he had a way of going and getting in and and showing you uh, a gritty side of a place. That absolutely made you fall in love with it, yeah. um, I think that was his magic as well
0: yeah well um you're you, one thing that that I'm very aware of in your work is this uh, is a sense of delight um, mm. and again, looking at a place like uh what what's the name of the town in Virginia? Wonder, green uh greenstone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, looking at this place where the, where the, uh, that seems unlovely or undelightful, at least the town itself. I, I know the, 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 uh, the surroundings are beautiful. Um, and, and finding delight in that. And, um, that just seems like an, an important engine for, for your work and not just yours, but, but writing more broadly.
1: I think, it I think it really is. I, I think you can tell when a writer is working. Um, with uh, an accessibility or an openness to, to delight and, and maybe when they aren't. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I, I don't always succeed in it myself, but mostly what I write for is, is to gain access to that sense. Mm-hmm. Look, there's, um, just as, as an example, sort of a, how, it, how it transitions from, from life into work. Um, Robin and I take long walks, like I was mentioning before, mm-hmm. um, through Duluth, and a few blocks from our house, there's a there's a beautiful sort of uh, small wilderness, uh, a park called Tisher, and there's a creek that runs through it, a beautiful beautiful a uh, swift running creek that runs all year, Tisher Creek. Um, it's very pretty, and there's a nice gravel path that runs along beside it, and there are bridges that go over it, and uh, and there's a fox that must live nearby. I, I've seen this fox a few times, and foxes are clever. Um, but this one does something that I've never seen before, which is he, he hangs around this one part of the creek where there's a backwater and the and a, a thirsty creature can go down and drink easily. And if you go down there, there's a little wet sand and there's mud that never really dries. And you can see the tracks of all kinds of animals there, deer and cats and dogs and large birds and raccoons but this fox that i keep seeing leaves no tracks so two or three times i've seen him down there standing by the water getting a drink looking around and i wait until he's gone and then i go down to find his tracks because i like that language of animal tracks and there just aren't any fox tracks down there somehow this fox (laughs) who is as Real and, as 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 you and me has figured out how not to lose tracks. So I have this picture in my head of a fox drifting along the shore with, with his feet like a couple of inches off the ground. <laughs> and so um and so delight, it's usually there if if you are willing to see it, and it's usually free. Uh, yeah. So I think this I think this connects to what you kind of mentioned in your email, which was the the state of the, you know, kind of the givenness of the world around us, which yeah. as I understand, it just means, you know, the world as it is instead of maybe what we wish it was. But I think the light is that, is that door that gives us both at the same time, you know?
0: Gives you both what at the um, same time?
1: you both the world as it is and a little bit extra just a little extra so the fox is there um but the fox is also um drifting off the ground do you see what i'm getting at (laughs) i Um, think so it's uh it's like the, the world is solid and the world is corporeal but it's also ethereal and delightful yeah um it's uh and there's, I guess maybe there's a there's a, an imagination or a, a childlikeness um, to seeing the world that way. But that's really the the only reason I write is because I desperately need to be able to see both of those things, and and writing is the only way I have found uh, to do it consistently.
0: Um, sounds like um, going on walks and picnics is another way you uh, you. Get at that, get at delight, yeah, absolutely yeah what what are some other ways that you uh, that you find delight Oh well um,
1: I read a lot of books, yeah writers do it for me on a consistent basis
0: yeah
1: um, i i sometimes I read old favorites. Um, Often I look for new favorites. I think that's easier to do with books than it is with music. With music, I always find myself drifting back to um, tastes I acquired when I was in my 20s or teens. I'm yeah. sure this is why all these stations are so popular. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, throw Tom Petty at me and I'm just um, a pile of mush.
0: Yeah, I know. That. That's funny. Um, I-, I was just thinking about Tom Petty when you said that. I don't guess I will ever... Yeah outgrow Tom Petty?
1: I don't think I will either. I mean, just to maybe my favorite songwriter. I I, I adore that music. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas with books, you know, I can, I can, I step back and read Charles Portis on a regular basis. I step back and read Larry McMurtry and Ann Tyler and so many books that I read when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow with books, I'm also always looking for the next one that I know is going to be a favorite, you know? So uh, last year I read a a terrific book by Megan Hunter, this young writer. I've never met her. um, And she wrote a a slim little novel called The End We Start From, Uh uh, which reads like a long poem. It's a short novel. You can read it in one sitting. And it sounds like such a downer, but I was, I was glued to it. Um, It was mesmerizing. It felt like an epic poem. It felt like I was reading Homer, and so um, I can't wait for her to write more books because I want to read them. I want to fall under that spell, and falling under a spell is you know that's a pool of light wherever you find it.
0: Yeah, I've heard you say something along the lines of, um, I mean, the way you know what to write is what it is that you would like to read, Um, which is yeah. Another reason for for a, a writer to read um, seems to me the only reliable way of that is the only reliable way of knowing what to what to write next and the only way to know what kind of you know if you're trying to write funny all all you've got is what's funny to you right
1: yeah that's right it's it's incredibly <laughs> subjective and it's and it's uh, yeah I don't know I I don't know what else how well I mean I I don't think I could ever probably just take the assignment. Of saying, okay, write a book that will be comforting to people right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I have no idea. All I know is what I desperately want to read right now. Yeah. Um, And I've just got to be willing to roll with where the story wants to go. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Another thing I sort of admire is when a writer can like map something out and say, here's here's where this, man, I wish I could do that. Um, maybe it wouldn't take me so long to write books. Uh, if I could write an outline and then stick to the outline
0: instead of abandoning it after eight pages. Um, so do you, do you write outlines that you then abandon, or you just don't, don't write outlines? No, I write them.
1: I write them, yeah. but uh, I never stick to them. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I always have an outline because a story, uh, a story appears with a certain kind of wholeness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, you know, so far, that is the way it has happened. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one day I'll be able to, yeah. um, you know, do it, do it differently. Uh-huh. But right now it's, it's, I'm just doing what I, what I have. Here's an example. Okay. Book I'm working on right now, I'm about halfway done. And, uh, and my narrator, his name is Rainier, um, has, has docked his old boat in a little town uh, of the Canadian shore of Lake Superior. And, uh, what can I say about Rainier? I, I don't want to over explain it. So I'm not going to tell you about the mission that he is on. Okay. Um, but he knocks in this town to repair his, his little sailboat after a storm. Um, and so he's, uh, he's looking around for parts and he meets this whole, ah, who, who happens to be a doctor. Now, when I started writing about the doctor, I thought he was just there to take care of a cut that Rainier got on his eye during the storm, um, on Lake Superior. Um, because he needs to see a doctor, and I thought, well, this here's the role for this guy to play. But then, when I started to write about this doctor, it turned out that he he's kind of an interesting character. He's got sort of um, troublesome diction, and he's got terrible eyes, and um, and he's he's kind of troubled and heartbroken about a situation in his life. Um, so I I kind of invested, and I wrote about him. Um, so now it's days later; it's pages later. And Rainier by now has fixed his boat and he left the doctor behind in this little town. Uh, but I kind of think, and I'm not sure, but I think that somehow uh, that heartbroken Canadian general practitioner is going to show up again. Um, I think he's got unfinished business. So, so we'll see. Or, or maybe now that I've talked about it, he'll just vanish forever.
0: This is, yeah, it's a, this
1: is unpredictable. Uh, but, but just the fact that I don't know. Uh, yeah allows for a certain delight in the work uh, uh, I'm having an enormous fun, partly because I don't
0: know how it's all going to turn out. Yeah. No, I, I love that idea that, that it is not knowing that keeps you going. Um, and, um, you know, that, that uncertainty, um, and leaving, leaving open the possibility that you're going to be as surprised as anybody else by this process. Um, right. Exactly. That really makes
1: it fun. That's, that's why, that's why a person does it. I think. No. Uh, it's just to see what happens. We're yeah. we're hardwired for that. We yeah. we want to see what happens.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I I won't start writing a story without an outline, and the outline is almost never. Yeah, turns out to be right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think yes. Yeah, and I know the feelings.
0: Yeah. What are you working on, uh, now, God? Well, Well, um, the um, I am working very slowly on a sequel to the, my last novel is called the Charlottens boy and i 'm you know slogging slogging it maybe overstating the case a little bit i 'm just going very slowly on a sequel to that book um,
1: is it yeah. difficult to to go back uh, to characters you have written about before
0: as it turns out yes in in, in this case there 's been enough of a i guess maybe i um I keep considering the possibility that the Charlottes boy was the whole story and mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't you know require a sequel. Um yeah. I mean did so, you did yeah. you write the novel thinking there would there would be a sequel? Um Yes and no. I I I wrote the novel with a contract with a two book contract, <laughs> right? And so the considerations okay. um, were more contractual than narrative in terms of Right. Um, and, and, I mean, I was working from the assumption that it was going to be a sequel, and then I, then I got to the end and thought, huh, this is interesting. This kind of feels like this, this may be the end of this story. And, and the truth is, I'm thinking of the sequel in many ways It's just another story about the same people, which is not right. exactly the same right. thing as a sequel.
1: That yeah. isn't the same thing as a sequel, but it is – I mean, there's something comforting about welcoming an old character – or sliding back into a world that you knew from your earlier work. Um, yeah. That is a very attractive thing for me. And I'm, I'm writing another, like, superior novel, and I find the same thing. It's like, oh, um, man, this feels, I feel at home in this setting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very freeing. I mean, there's a lot of scene setting you don't necessarily have to do. Um, yeah. And you can, you can close your eyes and smell that air uh, and know where you are. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. Do you, do, you come up with, uh, do you come up with a lot of ideas and, and are faced with choosing the best one? Um, or do you come up with ideas quite rarely, and so you have to seize onto them and do the best you can?
0: Uh, B. I feel like I, in terms of stories, I come up with ideas uh, pretty rarely. Yeah. Um, how about you?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it is for me, too. It's like, uh, uh, it's like a story appears when it has to. Um, if I've, if I've right. been, um, unproductive for too long, uh, it's like you open a drawer and there's one story in there um, yeah. and what are you going to, what are you going to do with that one story? <laughs> do the best you can. Um, people say, why did you write that story now? Because it was the only one there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. I, I would love yeah. to be one of these writers who are, uh, I remember years ago reading an interview with With John Grisham, and it was after the firm came out, his first just gigantic bestseller, Uh, and he said, "Yeah, well, you know, I had six or eight other really terrific ideas after that, and I sat down with my agent, and we figured out which one was going to be the best and the most (laughs) (laughs) commercial." And I thought, "Wow, (laughs)
2: yeah, yeah, I can't imagine,
1: yeah, Uh, amazing. I was, I was deeply impressed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not Um, that way for me. I I read an interview." in the New York times about, um, John Grisham and this, this little anecdote just made me love him. He, he, uh, to this, you know, he would, had gone to New York for some reason, I guess, to meet with his agent or whatever. And he, and so he yeah. sat down for the interview with this, with this reporter and they went to a, some sort of fancy restaurant in New York city. And, uh, and he ordered, he said, I'll have, you know, gnocchi and some other kind of pasta, you know, and the guy says, you, you know, kind of kind of in a high handed way said, uh, you realize that's two different kinds of pasta, don't you? He's like, "Yep, I want two different kinds of pasta <laughs> and for some reason. They just love. He's like, I, I want what I want. And and um, and it, the, the I, I'm not that's wonderful. I'm not nuts about his his books. I mean, they're 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 just kind of not. Not my thing, but I'm like this is a guy who knows what to do with his success. You know, he's he's um yeah he's also, you know, coaching Little League and just being a member of his community and oh yeah and eating whatever he wants at the fancy restaurant in New York City because Yeah,
1: you know, that's yeah. very lovable. Um I, yeah. I, I'm I'm just in favor of successful writers. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want them to I want them to keep doing what they're doing. Every time I get a chance to listen to an interview with Stephen King, I take that chance because I want to yeah. know what he's thinking.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I, uh, you're you're asking the question of you know story ideas. Um, do you? I, I find that it's, it's easy to come up with situations. Like I can always think of an interesting situation that might be a story, but but very few of those situations turn into actual stories with with a plot and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you, if you experience that in a similar way. Uh, you know, situations are the hard part for me. Yeah. Um,
1: for me, the, the thing that comes first is usually a, a character who is in some sort of a jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and and once I have a, you know, basically, usually a dude in a jam, <laughs> uh, then I figure the rest will show up. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then once a, a, a dude in a jam has a particular place, um, then, yeah. I'm almost,
0: uh, then I'm almost, uh, almost there,
1: uh, but, but, but situations are, uh, are, you know, I mean, the jam is part of it, but there's always more. Yeah. Um, and then it's just sort of letting them put their, um, you know, put their shoulder down and barrel through whatever they have to and, and who do they meet on the way and how yeah. does that person affect them and who do they fall in love with? And, um, and, uh, you know, one thing I love to do, you probably, I bet you do this too, uh, if I don't know a character very well, I'll just sit down um, and write longhand for, uh, you know, seven or eight pages of just dialogue in which they're talking with different people. So you start to understand their voice. Um, just, just let them talk for a while. And then they, they sort of tell you what they're interested in and what they're afraid of, uh, what their high hopes are, um, how they've been disappointed, what's the difference between, the, you know, what they wanted out
0: of life and what they got. Um, there's, there's, That's a great question to ask, by the way, for for building a, a character. What's that? Yeah, really what, is. And what they got? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, what what are their um, what are their disappointments? Um,
0: you know, That'd helped. be a great question just no. to ask people in general. <laughs> you you <know, laughs> you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned you've been right. having uh, kind of shallow conversations with your right. neighbors. Why don't you just start asking? Yeah. Hey, so what's the difference in what you expected and what you got?
1: Well, mostly because I just don't want to be a jerk. (laughs) But I always think it. I always think "Hmm," uh, because people are so interesting, and once in a while, you find somebody who is totally open to that kind of question, and then you can jump in and go for it. Yeah. Um, But you don't want to just ambush people like that. (laughs) I remember one time as a kid, maybe high school, uh, I went to this. This Bible study. There were a lot of people there. I didn't know any of any of them really, except a few friends. Um, but there were a bunch of older people. I was fifteen or so, and you know, most of the people there were adults. Um, and somebody brought me in to meet this this young guy who was like a divinity student. Yeah. Uh, and they said, "Got to listen to this guy. He's he's something special." Um, and they sort of brought me into this circle, and and uh, I, I said. Uh, uh, hi, I'm Leif. You know, he's like, Hey, I'm Dan. I, I, don't, I don't, remember his name. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and he said, his first question to me was, Is there a way you could serve God better than the way you're serving Him right now? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, You jerk! You can't ask me that question. You don't yeah, even right. know me. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, he was clearly there, kind of upholding his reputation as a provocateur, <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and he was a good one. Um, I, I'd love to talk to him now and see what in the world he's done with his life.
0: Yeah.) Um,
1: <laughs> uh, but you don't want to be that guy. Right. <laughs> OK. All right, you talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you've got a podcast, and on a podcast, you can ask whatever you want, because people are expecting your questions. Uh, so do you like, like podcasting? T- I've me been about, thinking about yeah,
0: that. Yeah, tell tell me about the gap between what you expected out of life and what you've got in life. Can you can you tell me about that right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course I've never thought of that for myself, John. Yeah, right. Uh, no, I you know, I don't think the gap is that great. Um yeah. uh because I was taught from a very young age look, I was raised in the in the strictures of Vanteloven. And um and, uh, what is, I, I don't know what that is, what is
0: Janteloven?
1: Oh, okay, all right. Janteloven is a term that was, that was coined by um, a Danish-Norwegian uh, novelist in the 1930s. I think he published a novel in 36 called A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks. Okay. Great title. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the, the premise, the novelist's name is Axel Sandemos. And uh, there's a young man, the hero of the book, who lives in a town called Yante, J-A-N-T-E. And Yante is run by 10 laws. Now, I'm going to totally screw this up because I haven't read the 10 laws in a while. Uh, But the first law is something like this. Don't think you can tell us what to do. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The the second law is don't think you are smarter than us. Okay. The third law is uh, something like don't laugh at me. <laughs> so basically, they're all <laughs> versions of the very same thing, right? <laughs> uh, and, and then there's a, an unspoken, uh, but everyone knows it, 11th law, which is don't think there aren't a few things we know about you. <laughs> is this Yantar yeah. or is it, so, it like Wobogon? It sounds like the. the... Well, no, it's, this is definitely where Wobogon comes from. Yeah. Um, I did not know the term Jantaloven until um, Peace Like a River was published in Oslo in a Norwegian edition, and I went over for that, and I had uh, dinner with my publisher one night, and he said, "Uh, tell me what your parents think of your books and and your sort of success (laughs) as a writer. And and I said, oh, they're very uneasy about it. It makes them real nervous. Um, uh, I told him about the fact that when when Peace Like a River sold, my mom pulled me aside and said, hoping it will sell for just enough money to pay off your mortgage and not a penny more. Wow. <laughs> she said, that's what I'm praying for. I said, don't pray for that, mom. Pray that it sells for a million dollars. What are you doing? <laughs> don't sabotage me. God answers your prayers. Don't do that to me. Um, but I realized that uh, – so I told uh, my, my Norwegian publisher about this, and he burst into laughter, and he said, "Janteloven, you know about Jantaloven. I said, I don't know the term. So he told me about it. And we, uh, and we laughed hard because I realized that uh, absolutely as a, a person of Scandinavian stock in the Midwest, um, I was raised under exactly those laws. Oh, uh, wow. That, that <laughs> Uh, and, and it's just it's fascinating. There are good things about it. You know, yeah. Humility is just instilled in you. The first yeah. thing I can remember hearing as a kid is the phrase, don't be a big wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think always, always believing that I didn't have it in me to be a big wheel, I haven't had very many disappointments. Yeah. Everything has been extra. You know, the world is gravy to me. Yeah. Uh, so, so no, I, I guess I don't have many disappointments. Uh, but I think a lot of people do, because they are raised yeah. to expect um, bigger things
0: than they get. Um, yeah, yeah, that's life. Well, um, it sounds like Janta would would um, would maybe equip a person to to be receptive to the givenness of the world, um, <laughs> and to be grateful. So. To, yeah. I, uh, all right, I always end and it's time for us to be bring this thing this thing in for a landing I always end with the question uh, who are the writers who make you want to write
1: oh man there's, there's so many of them um, there's so many of them Jonathan uh, they're all over the place the world is littered with writers that make me happy and yeah, giddy yeah. and envious um, so some, some of these are going to be usual suspects um, I made a little, a little uh, list so I wouldn't forget about it oh, yeah. Um you know Charles Portis, who we mentioned before, absolutely mm. one of them. Um, oh, yeah. Every so often, I, I I pull down The Dog of the South just
0: to read that dialogue between Ray Midge and Rio Simes.
1: It, it's um, just incredible.
0: I I just read it about two weeks ago, and I just was just blown away again. Oh,
1: it's it's just hilarious. I mean, you laugh so hard you you startled the neighbors. Yep. You know, or that part in True Grit where they're tracking down uh, Tom Chaney and, and they lose half a day throwing corn dodgers in the air and shooting at him with pistols. <laughs> um, it's just fantastic. Uh, another guy is, is Walker Percy. I love Walker Percy, yeah. uh, who wrote The Movie Goer and, and a handful of other kind of luminous yeah. books. And I think he demonstrated uh, better than almost anybody this sort of absurdity and innate humor that go along with being like a, a person of faith. Yeah. You, know, you subscribe to this divine idea, but you're also a corporeal being who gets hungry and horny and drunk.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're a person, a dog in you know, a tuxedo.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> he's funny and honest with himself and, yeah. and generous, you know. Oh, uh, or, or Jim Harrison, you know, he's another one. A uh, guy who writes with all this, kind of specificity and, um, I I I don't know. Oh goodness. Jim Harrison. He, well, he's famous for, um, legends of the fall. Oh, got it. Okay. Which is, yeah. I mean, it's maybe one of the best 90 page stories that's ever been written. Um, every time I read one of his Brown dog stories, he wrote a bunch of novellas about a guy named Brown dog in Michigan. Uh Uh, I think about that character for days afterward. Huh. Um, he's got this appreciation of beauty and good food, and you know, grassland and rivers and mm-hmm. and open water. And he's got this wonderful skepticism toward, um, I don't know, the uh, the authoritarian impulse in in mm-hmm. um, government and and religion, and all of that is just. Um, and it's air in your lungs, you know. All right, um, but I'll it's a long list. And, you know, Nick Hornby makes me want to write. Yeah, um, Mary Oliver makes me want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, who's Who's that woman that wrote News of the World? uh, Paulette, uh, Paulette. uh Proul? Oh no, N- no, that, that shipping news. Her too. Oh yeah. Uh, Paulette Giles wrote uh, Giles. Okay, that's it. News of the World. Martin Amos makes me want to write. Oh. George Saunders, who's like. Oh, yeah. Uh, this incredibly generous writer. I love the way he thinks about people. And yeah. Louise Erdrich and Michael Chabon and, and uh, Mario Vargas Llosa and Ann Patchett. I mean, we're just drowning in good stuff, Jonathan. Oh, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches. It is. Uh, Sometimes yeah. I pick up my brother Lynn's novel, The High Divide. I don't know if you've read that. I have not. Um, but it's this this epic. Uh, family and ambition and violence and the last buffalo on the great plains in the 19th century it's the whole package and sometimes it just makes me laugh to think that Len and I have both gotten to be part of this tradition of um, you know writing and reading and publishing stretching back to antiquity I mean how lucky are we
0: well, Layfinger, I'm going to tell you—you uh, you make me want to write. I, I just love what you do, and it, it's—I'm uh, so thrilled oh, to hear in the generous, middle, middle of another novel. Um, I hope you uh, hope you knock that thing out, and I can read it soon. All right, I'm going to do my best. Thank you so much. This has really
2: been fun. Yeah, thanks for being on the Habit Podcast, Leif. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit jessraymusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs.
0: The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.
2: This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.